Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and challenger Sarah Iannarone faced off in their first televised debate of the general election this week, making their final arguments to voters as ballots start to arrive in mailboxes next week. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, you'll hear the entire debate, which aired on KGW Thursday night. The Oregonian's Portland City Hall reporter, Everton Bailey Jr., and KGW anchor, Laurel Porter, moderated the debate. Wheeler and Iannarone discussed their stances on police reform, homelessness, the COVID-19 pandemic, how to rebuild Portland's economy, and much more. Hello and welcome to the Portland mayoral debate from KGW News and The Oregonian. I'm Laurel Porter. Like so many things this year, tonight's debate is going to look a little different from debates our two news organizations have hosted together for nearly 20 years. As you can see, the studio is nearly empty. In the interest of safety, our candidates tonight are appearing remotely from locations they chose. Mayor Ted Wheeler is joining us from the Portland Firefighters Union Hall in Southeast Portland. And challenger Sarah Iannarone is joining us from the office of a supporter, also in Southeast Portland. Thank you both for joining us under these unusual circumstances. The only other person with me in the studio, socially distanced, of course, is Oregonian City Hall reporter Everton Bailey Jr. Everton will be my partner in moderating tonight's debate. Before we start, a quick note about our format. Both candidates will answer questions from Everton and myself, as well as a few questions via video submitted by KGW viewers and readers of the Oregonian. For questions from the moderators, the candidate receiving the question will get 60 seconds to answer. The other candidate will get 45 seconds for a rebuttal. So with that, we'll get to the first question from Everton Bailey Jr. Everton? Thank you, Laurel. Mayor Wheeler, Ms. Iannarone, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We'll start by getting a sense of your vision for the city. Over the past year, Portland has had to navigate coronavirus, protests for racial justice and police reform, a recession, housing instability, increases in gun violence, and more. To start, we'll ask, what is your vision for the future of Portland in 2021? Mayor Wheeler, as the winner of the coin flip, we'll start with you. And for this question, we'll give you both 60 seconds to answer. Mayor? Thank you very much for the question, Everton, and I want to thank KGW and the Oregonian for hosting this debate tonight. I want to thank the Portland for- Firefighters for their endorsement and I. AFF Local 43 for hosting me here tonight. So the vision for 2021 is clear. The first thing we need to do is end the nightly violence. The second thing we need to do is begin the work of cleaning up the city. That means pick up the litter, abate the graffiti, and we're already working on an aggressive strategy to do that. We need compassionate responses to reduce the number of people that are camping outside on our sidewalks and in our public right-of-ways. And last but not least, and maybe just as importantly, we need to work with local business owners, large and small, and help them reopen so that people come back to the community, that people see that we're open, see that we're vibrant, see that we're creative and innovative, and that Portland can lead again. I believe we have every opportunity in 2021 to do these things. Thanks. Thank you very much, Mayor. Ms. Iannarone, 60 seconds. What's your vision for Portland as we head into 2021? I'm really optimistic about the future. What we have here is in the face of very serious challenges. Uh, the challenge of dealing with police reform, 
the looming eviction crisis on the other side of the COVID uh, eviction and um, moratorium, and even thinking about how we rebuild our small business community better after COVID. We have great opportunities to invest in what we know best. We can come together as a community, harness our resources, empower our people, and make sure that Portland is on the right track. It's been off track for too long. And in fact, many people felt like we were off track prior to these current crises. So as I take office, I'll be focused on making sure that we're having a just, sustainable recovery from COVID, that we're focusing on the police reform that's so sorely needed, and making sure that every Portlander has a home that they can afford. These need to be our priorities right now, and I believe I'm the right person to help us achieve them. Thank you very much, Ms. Ayanna Rohn. Laurel? We'll ask a few questions about leadership next. Miss Ayanarone, you are unafraid, both in person and on social media, to bluntly call out your opponents, even using profanity against Mayor Wheeler on Twitter. But enacting change in this city requires forming broad coalitions and bringing at least two of your fellow commissioners on board with you. How do you convince voters you'd be able to do that as mayor? The campaign that I'm running is a grassroots powerhouse. We are on track to set city elections history for the most number of donors ever in a local election. What this means is that I'm not relying on the power of a few influential people to get things done. I have the power of a wide range of people to help me get things done. A political powerhouse, if you will, focused on progressive change, making sure that what we can do is not only recover in downtown, but work all the way through East Portland to St. John's with our small business districts, focus with our community organizations as I've done on housing solutions, homelessness solutions, make sure we're bringing in the young people in discussions around climate change and police reform and tapping into the resources in communities all over the city to meet our most pressing challenges. As someone embedded in community, the only person in this race who's actually run a small business in Portland, I believe I'm well poised to work on these things. Thank you. May Wheeler, you have 45 seconds for a rebuttal. This is all about coalition building, and it's about bridging divide. It's about bringing people together to solve complex problems. I've proven that I can do that. I've done that around the Healthy Communities Coalition in the Broadway Corridor, where we brought labor and business and community groups together to sign a development agreement. We did it around COVID, where we brought a broad coalition together to support households in our community, as well as rent support for people who needed it. And we've done it in other cases as well. Bybee Lakes, I just went out to the opening of the Bybee Lakes Treatment Center. That's a public-private partnership that's going to be very successful. And that's why I have the endorsements of so many different groups, labor Uh, The people who work for me at the city, uh, uh, organizations like the OLCV, civil rights organizations support my candidacy like the NAACP. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Everton has our next question. The next question is for you, Mayor Wheeler. Uh, Speaking of coalition building, you've been criticized also for failing to build a coalition and bring people like your fellow city commissioners, the governor, the county chair and others together on many of your recent policy stances. At press briefings, you often stand alone and have admitted that you've been trying to do too much by yourself. What would be different in a second term? In a second term, and how do you plan to get there? 
Yeah, and much of much of the dispute that we've had has been around homelessness and public safety. Around homelessness, we have a great working relationship with Multnomah County through the joint office. We've done a lot around shelter, transitional housing, support services, connecting people with mental health or addiction services. But we have not done enough to get people off the streets and into some sort of an environment where they can actually be helped to stay off the street. So we have a difference of opinion. I'll keep working positively with my colleagues at the county to make uh, some movement there. And I, I'm already having positive relationships with county officials on that front. And then around public safety, we just built a coalition that included the state police, the county sheriff, the uh, uh, local Portland police chief, and put together a coalition this weekend, uh, two weekends ago that was very successful. And I look forward to doing that again. In fact, I'm bringing back some of those same partners this week to hammer out plans to keep our community safe during the upcoming election. Thank you very much, Mayor Wheeler. Ms. Diana, around 45 seconds, what's your response to that? The mayor himself went on Fox News and said that he's failed because he tried to go it alone. His colleague on city council, Commissioner Joanne Harsty, recently unendorsed him because she doesn't feel that he's well equipped to deal with the issue, especially of police reform at this time. So what we need is not someone with a track record of failure who's asking the public for a do-over, but someone with a track record of working in community time and again across this city to bring the best and the brightest together in unusual, unconventional coalitions of new organizations, young leaders, emerging leaders from the Black Lives Matter movement who can shape a better future for Portland. Uh, We've seen uh, a lack of progress on most fronts under the current administration. It's time for a change. Thanks, Ms. Sainaron. Laurel? For this debate, we ask KGW viewers and Oregonian readers to submit their own questions for the candidates. Both candidates will answer these questions, and each will get 60 seconds. Here is our first video from St. John's resident Dan Christensen. This question is for both candidates. When do peaceful protests under our First Amendment become unlawful, dangerous, and violent? And when would you put a stop to this, making sure that we do go back to peaceful protests and not allowing our city to burn night after night? Thank you. Ms. Iannarone, you're up first. You have 60 seconds. Thank you for that question, Mr. Christensen. I know how upsetting it is when there is unrest in your neighborhoods, especially when night after night we're seeing that protests about police brutality are met with increased police brutality and how comfortable it can be when things like tear gas are administered and leak into the homes of residents in neighborhoods across the city. The answer to addressing the issue that's happening in our streets is to standing alongside these young Black Lives Matter leaders meeting with them, talking with them, working with them on these issues, and making progress toward real reform. I condemn violence in all forms. I always have. But we must know that the answer to protests about police brutality cannot be increased police brutality. I'll give you just a a few more seconds, Ms. Iannaro, because I think he also wanted to know, where do you draw the line between peaceful protests and when they become uh, into criminal activity? We need equal enforcement of the law, regardless of who is engaging in criminal activity. And as Portland mayor, I will not be able to control what any individual protester is doing in the streets. My job will be making sure that the police do their jobs, making sure that they're held accountable for when they break 
procedure and even the law, that will be my job as Portland mayor. And ultimately, we'll have a police force that's well equipped to enforce the law without racial bias in the future. I have a follow up for you. You've been called the Antifa mayor. Are you Antifa? And how would that guide how you would handle protests as mayor? I love that Joe Biden answered this question before me, because being opposed to fascism in 2020 is not something to be embarrassed about. I have a bumper sticker from the beginning of my campaign that says hashtag everyday anti-fascist. And what I have tried to do is normalize peaceful responses to the rise of white nationalism by organizing in my community. I organized the this summer when the Proud Boys came to town. I organized a menstrual product drive for my neighbors residing in the Laurelwood shelter because the answer to toxic masculinity is an inclusive pluralist society where let, people let me, of let me all jump backgrounds in here. feel welcome. Let me jump in here and just ask you, though, is being anti-fascist the same thing as being Antifa? Are you Antifa? Antifa is not anything more than idea. That's what Vice President Biden explained to us. It's people who oppose anti-fascism. And I strongly oppose anti-fascism. And I adopt and implement peaceful responses to that. Um, and that is how I describe my position on this issue. Donald Trump has decided to make the enemy of groups of people who oppose his bullies and his militia forces. But I'm not going to be caught up in that rhetoric because it's false. It creates division in our society. It creates division in our city when what we need is every single Portlander faced in the okay. right direction saying hate is not welcome here. Thank you, Mayor Wheeler. I'm going to read Mr. Christensen's question again for you. When do peaceful protests under our First Amendment become unlawful, dangerous and violent? And when would you put a stop to this, making sure we go back to peaceful protests, not allowing our city to burn night after night? All right. Well, let's let's start with the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is our nation and our community are going through a national reckoning around racial justice and equity. And there's calls for common sense police reforms and tens of thousands of Portlanders have taken to the streets, joining millions of people around the country. And we should support this. This is an important movement. It's an important time. And I certainly embrace it. On the other hand, there are people who've been engaged in nightly violence and criminal destruction. And leaders should say unequivocally that violence will not be condoned. And for those who are engaged in act of violence or criminal destruction, regardless of their political beliefs, they should be held accountable for that violence and criminal destruction, period. And when it comes to police reform, of course, I support police reform. And that's one of the reasons uh, that my colleagues and I on the city council are referring an overhaul of our accountability and oversight mechanism to the November ballot. I support it. I want you to support it because it'll help us hold cops accountable when they do things wrong. I do have a follow up for you, Mayor Wheeler. You've been called weak for your handling of the protests while others have called you tear gas Ted. What's going to be different? How will things change if you're reelected? Well, look, uh, I, I get it from both sides. People saying the police are overbearing, people saying the police aren't engaging enough. Uh, and the bottom line here is you've got to draw the line carefully, because on one hand, we are going to support nonviolent and peaceful demonstration. We're going to support the First Amendment rights of people to gather uh, and express their opinions, particularly during this time where people are really speaking out loudly for social justice and, and racial equity. But on the other hand, we have to do what we need to do 
for the police to be able to hold people accountable. That includes working with the district attorney, as we have, to hold those who are engaged in egregious acts of violence or vandalism accountable. It means we need to encourage the courts to work with us to not put into place restrictions that would would impede our ability to hold people accountable. And it's about building... Thank you. We're going to go on to the next question now. Everton? Uh, Mayor Willie, your your response touches into the next question here, uh, and it's in two parts. After months of clashes between police and protesters, how do you plan to rebuild the trust of community members who've lost faith in your administration and continue to protest out of concern public safety reforms won't be transformative? Also, how do you plan to go about rebuilding morale among police officers and get them on board with your vision for reforms, especially when there's been public disagreement, such as your ban on tear gas use? Tough question for one minute, but I'm going to give it my level best shot. Number one, you build trust by doing what you say you're going to do and by listening to what the community wants. And what the community is saying is they want cops who are bad actors held accountable. We're doing that by the ballot measure that we've referred to the ballot that I support, and I hope you'll vote for that alongside me in November. Number two, we're renegotiating our contract with the Portland Police Association so we can hold police officers accountable if they go astray of our rules and policies and procedures. And and third and importantly, we're working with the community to listen to them. This city council has already uh, supported many of the calls for reform, including non-police interventions in the community, like uh, the Portland street response. The public said they wanted an unarmed police presence, so we created for the first time ever the Portland Public Safety Specialist, the Portland Public Safety Support Specialist, the PS3s, and people said they wanted more community engagement, so I created the Portland Committee on Community-Engaged Policing, which is both independent okay, and effective. Uh, sorry. Uh, I, I, sorry to cut you off there, but I do uh, want to give you another 15 seconds uh, to touch on uh, how do you rebuild morale within the police bureau and get them on board with your reforms. I've been encouraging the Portland Police Bureau to not see this moment of national reckoning and demands for police reform as a condemnation of the hard work that men and women in the Police Bureau do, but see them as an opportunity. They have an opportunity to lead that reform. They know better than anybody else what it takes to be a cop. They have a perspective on community safety as well. They need to be at the table. Their voices need to be respected alongside the myriads of other voices in the community. I need them engaged and pulled into the table, not pushed away. Thank you, Mayor Wheeler. Ms. Ayanna, around 45 seconds, your rebuttal. I just don't know how Portlanders who've been watching this unfold for over 120 days believe that this mayor is going to be able to affect the change that he's promising. When you try to please everyone, you end up alienating them because he hasn't taken a firm line on making sure that the situation is controlled. So what we hear is the protests are out of control. The police are out of control. He doesn't present a clear plan to deal with any of this. I, on the other hand, prior to the tragic murder of George Floyd, presented a rethinking public safety plan that would have dealt with all of these issues proactively. That is the kind of leadership we need. Thank you, Ms. Ayanaron. And this next question is from Ms. Ayanarone. You want to take $50 million from the police budget and redirect it to other programs. What is one police program you would cut and where would you direct that money instead? You know, I really want to lower our expenditures on tear gas. And I say that 
um, with a little bit of laughter in my voice, but not really, because it's no laughing matter that we were able to come up with $8 million dollars in police funding to deal with these protests this summer. But we're still looking at thousands of Portlanders without shelter, even as the most traumatizing winter from a public health perspective in a century is coming our way. This is exactly what the community is talking about when they say, we want you to divest from militarized responses to public safety and reinvest meaningfully in community programs that work. So drawing down the hyper-militarized responses, the body armor, the armored vehicles, the tear gas, the rubber bullets, I don't want to see us spending our tax dollars on those things. I want us spending them on programs that make sure all Portlanders, especially BIPOC Portlanders, feel safe no matter where they are in this city. Those things you're talking about, though, are really kind of a drop in the bucket to $50 million you want to cut. That is a lot of money. How do you ensure the safety of the community, especially since we're seeing scaling up the Portland Street response team, for example, is taking a lot longer than expected? How do you keep the community safe in the meantime? Laurel, I need to make clear that that $50, that $50 million number didn't come from me. This is not me leading on this. And this is a clear distinction between me and the incumbent. I don't come out with these ideas on my own and then think that the public needs to accept them. These are ideas that have been put forward by our partners in the community who've been doing this work for decades. PALF, Unite Oregon, uh, the Urban League that have been talking about transforming public safety through proven community interventions. Even today, my team has released a new gun violence uh, prevention plan that's community-based, that's less police-oriented and more focused on upstream public health solutions. So we have the tools and existing programs that we can directly uh, move resources from militarized responses to community-based responses in the first 100 days of my administration. Thank you, Ms. Ayanarone. Mayor Wheeler, you have 45 seconds for a response. How much do you want to cut, if any, from the police bureau? Well, first of all, I want to comment on Sarah's answer. She didn't answer the question because she can't. The fact of the matter is we're already doing a lot of the things that she proposes she would do to save that money. We've already banned CS gas. We have already banned the use of LRAD. Uh, we've already demilitarized by creating an entire new unit that the public safety support specialists uh, that doesn't cost less. It costs more to stand up that unit and have unarmed police presence in the community. There's training we're engaging in, including implicit bias training and other types of training that the community is asked for, like de-escalation training. That's not free. Uh, and then additionally, we have a gun violence problem that is disproportionately impacting the BIPOC community. I'm asking for more resources for the Office of Violence Prevention to help us build coalition partners in the community to get a handle on some of that nightly gun violence that we're seeing in this city. So the 50 million seems arbitrary to me. I want to deal with facts. I want to talk to people who know what they're talking about. And let's bring the community together and have these conversations. But let's make sure they're rational conversations. Mayor Wheeler, we're going to touch on that subject just now with Everton has another question for you in that regard. Uh, yes. Uh, Mayor Wheeler, in June, the city council, as you know, disbanded the gun violence reduction team, which was found to disproportionately police black Portlanders. As you mentioned, gun violence has increased this year, particularly during the summer. 
Families of shooting victims, including black residents who've been killed, have called on the city to respond to this. Other than announcing more police staff to investigate shootings and wanting to increase funding for the Office of Violence Prevention, as you mentioned, you have not articulated a clear plan to the public on how the city will address increasing gun violence, despite saying you would. So, Mayor, the question is, what is that plan? So that plan is actually being formulated by the Office of Gun, the, the Office of Violence Prevention. Um, we're already shopping it around to commissioners. I think all of our commissioners have now seen that. I shared it with Commissioner Hardesty yesterday. Um, the plan is basically to work with trusted coalition partners in the community. We have organizations that already work alongside that office. It includes the Latino Network, NEA, and other organizations that have trusted partnerships. They can intervene more effectively than the Portland Police Bureau can with those communities that are impacted by gun violence. Gun violence is like a virus. You can treat it, but to treat it, you have to intervene. You have to circle and support those who are impacted by gun violence in order to reduce the spread of gun violence. We've seen that around the country. It's been studied. We're bringing that same model here to the city of Portland. But to do it, we can't cut budgets. We have to actually support the coalition building and the work that needs to take place to make that happen. We're also within the police bureau increasing our investigative resources. We now have a lieutenant and seven officers assigned, newly assigned, to follow up on the gun violence. Right. So each uh, case gets the attention you. uh, Mayor, you're and the follow-up it deserves. Oh, thank you very much, sorry. Mayor. Thank you very much. Uh, Ms. Ayanna Roan, 45 seconds, your rebuttal. This is a perfect example of where the mayor has had four years to deal with the situation and still doesn't have a plan. In the time that I've been running for mayor, I've worked with youth from across Oregon who've been dealing with this problem since they were in middle school. They're now in high school and college. I have convened leaders from around the state and best practices from around the nation of what mayor's offices are doing to deal with this problem. And what I hear time and again from communities is that police intervention at the time of crisis is not enough. Even our advisors at OHSU are telling us we need upstream solutions that deal with this as a public health crisis. And that's why I encourage you to go to my website at sarah2020.com and see my six-point plan to deal with gun violence that includes supporting youth and families, investing in education, increasing the amount of trauma-informed practice, uh, building an inclusive economy, um, interrupting the cycle okay. of community right. violence, Ms. which Ayanna, Mayor I'm discussed, sorry. Your, your and time is up. enforcing sensible gun legislation. Thank you, Ms. Ayanarone. Uh, this next question is actually for you as well. Um, so Portland, uh, investing more in Portland's black, indigenous and other communities of color have been stated goals for both you and your opponent. What do you believe will make the initiatives you plan to implement more effective than the incumbent? Uh, there are a few things. It's who I listen to in terms of who is respected in the community to lead on these issues and who we will convene. I'm planning to put leaders, uh, BIPOC leaders in my mayor's office to lead as a uh, head of small business and entrepreneurship, of workforce development, making sure that all of the resources across the city are aligned, the capital investments, the technical assistance, the community resources that people need. But also it's about data and tracking. We are not looking carefully enough at impacts. You'll hear over the course of this debate a lot of claims from the incumbent about being successful on this or that issue. But when you actually go down into the data to try and track real impacts for BIPOC Portlanders, we see that many are still losing out, and especially in East Portland. 
Thank you very much, Ms. Diana Roan. Mayor Wheeler, 45 seconds. What's your response? Number one, it's about leadership. I've already put BIPOC leaders in place. Uh, Two of the police chiefs that Sarah disagrees with uh, were actually from that community. Um, My administration, I said it was going to be the most diverse administration in the history of the city. It is. Our COVID response put equity and diversity front and center of the first $2 million that went out the door to respond to support small businesses. 90% went to businesses owned and operated by the BIPOC community around economic development. We created the Inclusive Business Resource Network. It helps a 1,000 businesses, most of which are owned and operated by the BIPOC community. The Portland Means Progress Initiative is almost exclusively for the BIPOC community. And around housing, the Northeast, North Northeast Housing Coalition, 567 renters who are supported under that, dozens of new homeowners supported under that, and over 500 households that received renovation right, support Mayor, I'm so they sorry can to stay cut you in their house. That's the up. kind of data. Oh, thank you, Mayor. That's the kind of data Sarah's asking for, and there it is. After the break, the candidates are asked how they will continue to address the COVID-19 crisis. And in the final exchange of the night, each candidate answers one question posed by their opponents. We want to talk now about COVID and how the city will recover. We'll start with a video question from someone you may recognize, Portland chef Gregory Gorday. With over 100 local restaurants permanently shuttered recently due to the economic hardship this pandemic has placed on our city and an estimated 85% of all restaurants closing permanently before we are out of this, what plan do you have to make sure that all these amazing restaurants community job providers, pillars of our community, and such important parts of our statewide food chain. What plans do you have to ensure that they can reopen safely, they can reopen permanently, and they have a fighting chance for survival as we push our way out of this pandemic? And Mayor Wheeler, you're up first. I love this question, and I'm very proud of the city's response to COVID. Number one, we were early in taking steps to prevent the spread of COVID. We were the first administration to stand up an organization, a body, a coalition from the community to support both business as well as households. We were the first to put dollars out the door to support the resiliency of small businesses and create a small business relief fund. We were the first to put resources towards household support. Uh, Under the COVID recovery, $35 million went to rent assistance. $20 million went to supporting small businesses. Then we also, of course, changed our rules to let businesses like restaurants be able to thrive. We allowed people to quickly set up on the sidewalks. We closed streets where it was appropriate to do so. And we've just extended that opportunity going forward. So we're working with business owners and operators. We're listening to their needs. We're helping them to be flexible and resilient during the crisis. And we're going to work with them to make sure they get through to the other side. This is critically important to our city's success. Thank you, Mayor. Sarah Iannarone, your response to Chef Gorday. It's so nice to see Chef Gorday um, on something other uh, than food television. So I'm so glad he could be here. You know, this has been such a hard time. The restaurant that I founded back in 2006 in my neighborhood um, closed due to COVID, in part because of a lack of clarity and uncertainty from every level of government about what they could expect, what the regulations would be, when they might be able to open again. There weren't clear guidelines in place. 
from a very early time. Many small business owners don't have a lot of cash on hand to see them through hard times. And what I've seen through this is talking with the people who ended up founding APIRA, which is now OIRA, which is the Oregon Independent Restaurant Association that's lobbying for things like to-go cocktails and the increased street seating that transportation advocates like me have been calling for for years are finally coming to fruition. But I believe that someone like me who's connected to the arts and culture of the city, who understands you can't displace 30 food carts for a Ritz-Carlton and still keep your brand, we need to do better by our small business and restaurateurs. Thank you. And Everton has our next question. Ms. Ayanarone, your plans, uh, among your plans listed on your campaign website is for the city to invest in guaranteed income for Portland's most vulnerable people. What does that mean? Uh, How much should the city invest and how will the city pay for that? This is such an amazing effort put on. I believe there are over 25 U.S. mayors now signed on to the Mayor's Coalition for a Guaranteed Basic Income. And we've been working with national leaders on that front, including uh, Mayor Tubbs of Stockton, California, who's leading on this. He's a young innovator. What they're doing is piloting small programs. They're allowing the community to decide who receives the funds and at what level. What we're looking at now is a combination of black mothers, um, particularly in school districts that have high turnover and also people experiencing homelessness who've had a hard time staying in permanent housing because of economic reasons. And so how can we come together as a community? There are plenty of wealthy people um, who could dig deep into their pockets or bring their very rich friends together uh, from the philanthropic, uh, public health, healthcare sector, business sector, and local government to make this happen. Test it out, see if it works, and hope that we can find some success here like other cities are. Uh, if possible, I'd like to give you a, a couple more seconds, Ms. Diana Rohn, to talk specifically about the city uh, and specifically how much you want the city to invest and where that money comes from and, and who are you talking about? Are we just talking about uh, people experiencing homelessness or other people around the city as well? The way that other cities are implementing this now is by very small pilot programs where the community is coming together to decide what those frameworks are. Again, when we as leaders try to operate unilaterally and force policies down the throats of community, it doesn't work. We need to bring the community to the table to have this conversation about what needs to happen. I believe that our healthcare organizations, higher education can help us do the research. The philanthropic sector can help us fund it in the early days. We can also look at it as part of the COVID recovery. But what we need to look at is the cost of not doing more now to stabilize our communities, because unless we stabilize them, okay. things like All gun right. violence uh, prevention, I'm sorry, Ms. we're never going to make time, progress. But thank you very much for answering that. Mayor Wheeler, okay, 45 seconds. What's your response? Well, my, my response is it's an interesting idea, and there's a lot of discussion at the national level about a guaranteed minimum income. Uh, there's a lot of smart people backing it who believe at the national level it makes a lot of sense. I'm certainly interested in the discussion. At the local level, it's very problematic. Just from an economics perspective, if you create a guaranteed minimum income in just one jurisdiction, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to have a lot of people moving to that jurisdiction very quickly to take advantage of that. So it's really a national discussion. I'm open to it. I'm interested in it. Uh, But at the local level right now with a $75 million budget deficit and pressing urgent immediate needs, that's probably not going to be my top priority. Thank you very much, Mayor. Laurel. 
Our next question is via video from Alexa Kern of Sunnyside. As mayor of Portland, would you support TriMet going fareless for all of its riders? And I would add to that, if so, how would you convince TriMet to do that? And how would you propose they pay for it? We'll begin with Mayor Wheeler. Uh, I absolutely support TriMet being free, particularly for low-income individuals. In fact, uh, as somebody who was born and raised in Portland, I remember when we had the Fairless Square all throughout the downtown. Uh, no, it, no ID was required. It didn't matter who you were. You got on a bus and you could ride around town. It was good for business. It was good for, for people who just wanted to be downtown and enjoy downtown. Uh, I've actually been on the stage at the same time as the executive director of TriMet. I've encouraged him to go towards a fareless model. They would need substantial support from the state to be able to do that. Uh, but we could do it. It only represents maybe 20, 25 percent of their overall budget. It's done in cities all across Europe. And I believe it would encourage people to get out of their cars. It would improve our climate and it would be more convenient. So, yeah, I'd support it. Sarah Ianaron, how about you? As someone who doesn't own a car and gets around by transit uh, most of the time, if not by my bicycle, I'm wondering why, if the mayor's so supportive, he hasn't done it yet. In fact, he cut youth pass for our students outside of PPS, mostly in East Portland. And so I actually don't believe him when he says he supports fareless transit, because if he did, we would probably have it. That said, we need to look at it beyond um, just simply as transportation. This helps us save money in terms of climate action. It reduces emissions. It creates opportunity in our workforce and for youth and for elders. So we can look at how we can support those communities through investments. We can think about it in the cost savings in reducing congestion and how much cheaper it is to get people on transit than having them stuck in traffic. As a climate champion and someone who has ridden by trying met by a a lot to get around the city. I understand how important this is, especially for our people in East Portland. So I support it 100 percent. And in my Green New Deal for Portland, I actually have a plan to get us there. Thank you both. Our next topic is homelessness. Mayor Wheeler, everywhere people look in the city, it seems there are tents, people living unsheltered on the streets. What promise can you make the people of Portland right now about how many people you'll get off the street and when can you make that happen? So I I can't promise a specific number. And what one of the things I want us to do, part of my critique, if you will, of the Joint Office of Homeless Services is we don't have a plan with specific metrics. We don't know how certain investments are going to reduce the camping population that we see out on the streets by a certain amount. I think that's an obligation of the city. It's an obligation of the county. It's an obligation of the state and our partners to work together to put those metrics together. I've been asking for them. I think we need to provide them and we should. But the way we're gonna address it is number one, there's an urgent crisis around people outside. I don't think it's humane to let people be all over the place, to have them all over the place outside in the elements. So I've called for additional shelter space. I've called for 300 beds in the near term. We've added about 170 in the last few weeks. We're looking for more. And we need to focus on connecting people with the services they need to get off and stay off the street. So that's things like mental health and substance abuse and domestic violence survivorship services. And I'm pushing hard on those fronts, too, with our our partners at the state and the county level. Thank you, Mayor. Ms. Iannaro, your response. The question, could you repeat the question that he answered? I I missed a little bit of what exactly 
I was just asking him how many people he thought he could, what promise he could make the people of Portland, how many people he could get off the street and into shelter and when. Oh, okay. This is where having a plan matters. I do not understand why the mayor in the fourth year of his administration does not have a plan to deal with what he sees as weaknesses in the Joint Office of Homelessness Services if this has been something that's been a priority for him since he ran in 2016, committing to end the crisis on our streets. This is why it's so important to ask your policymakers for a roadmap to which you can hold them accountable when they come into office committing to solve problems. I have worked very closely with people experiencing homelessness, the direct service providers, policymakers, so that I understand efficient deployment of shelter capacity. I've done it in my neighborhood several times. I've fought to make sure that we're working with the neighborhoods. As a neighborhood association member, I can help us ease transition so that we can have greater capacity across the city. Thank you, Sarah Iannarone. And Everton, you're up next. We're sticking with the topic of homelessness, Ms. Ayanna Rowan, and you touched on it a little bit, so you'll get a chance to uh, expand on uh, your views here. Uh, Homelessness was obviously an increasing problem in the city before the pandemic, and now there's the potential for more people being at risk than ever once the eviction moratorium uh, expires at the end of the year. Why should voters believe your efforts as mayor won't have similar or worse results in the last four years? Because what I've been calling for for years is what the city is finally doing in the midst of a crisis. I called for um, us establishing smaller, intentional camps around the city that would help us get tents off the streets, make sure that people were protected from the elements with urgency. I worked on transforming spaces like Mount Scott Community Center back in 2017, creating a shelter for over 100 people a night during snowpocalypse, as we called it. Um, And so that model has been there. Now we've seen Finally, the mayor's office is leaning into these community-led solutions. But someone like me, who comes from the neighborhoods, who has strong community ties, not just to other policymakers or special interests, but a broad range of community actors in this space, I believe I can be more innovative, bring different groups of people together to work on solutions, make sure that all our faith-based organizations um, and institutional partners are mobilized and ready to help and ultimately help us ease the path to creating more transitional housing for more Portlanders. Thanks, Ms. Ayanna Roan. Mayor Wheeler, your response? Well, uh, it's somewhat depressing listening to this. First, uh, Ms. Ayanna Roan didn't know that TriMet doesn't actually, it's not part of the city of Portland, so I can't directly make those changes. And now she seems completely unaware of the coalitions and the partnerships and the innovations that we've engaged in over four years. The Kenton Women's Village Uh, was a success. The expansion of R2-D2 was a success. The work we did with public and private sector partners on the Navigation Center in in, in the Pearl District has been successful. The three camps that are managed camps that connect people with hygiene, uh, toilets, um, connections to services have been very successful. The public-private partnership that I spoke at the other day at Bybee Lakes will ultimately have a capacity of over 500 people. So we've been doing it. We've been aggressive. We've been building those coalitions, and we're being successful. We need to do a lot more of all of these. Thank you very much, Mayor. Thank you. And now to climate change. Mayor Wheeler, last month, Oregon dealt with either raging wildfires or problems with terrible, thick smoke. While climate change isn't solely responsible for the fires, there's no doubt it's made fire conditions worse in the West. What is one step you plan to take as mayor to combat climate change? 
The, the most important step going forward without any question is energy efficiency and retrofits. 20 years from now, about 80% of the buildings we currently have in our community are still going to be here and they're still going to be used. And buildings are one of the major sources of greenhouse gases, both locally and globally. And so a lot of our efforts need to focus around energy retrofits for those buildings. But there's more we need to do. As the first mayor to commit our city to 100% renewable energy environment, there's work that we need to do with our coalition partners there. We need to expand uh, ordinances that we've already passed. The single-use plastic ordinance is fantastic in terms of keeping plastic out of our waterways. The work we did on the clean energy construction standard to reduce diesel particulates is good for the city, but now we need to expand that opportunity as well. And there's more work we need to do around residential infill and in the central city plan that helps us build more efficiently on the space we have, which is really good for the climate. Now we need to execute on those plans. Thank you, Mayor. Sarah Ianarone. Thank you very much. And I just want to go back to something because it's one thing to debate me on policy. It's another thing to insult my intelligence. I understand full well that city of Portland doesn't control TriMet, but I also wouldn't cut youth pass. And there are ways that we can lead from the region, even over things that we don't control. That said, climate is one of them. And picking fights with other people in government is not how we're going to do it. I'm endorsed by Bill McKibben, a leading climate expert. I'm endorsed by Representative Karn Power, uh, Mayor Mark Gamba, because of my commitment to climate change. I will work with the climate youth who are so passionate and bring so much energy to this issue. Meanwhile, Mayor Wheeler, on his watch, we've seen climate youth marcher brutalized by Portland Police Bureau. We've seen him lock climate youth out of his office. We've seen him oppose the Portland Clean Energy Fund and then take credit for it later. That's just not how climate leaders operate. Thank you. Everton? Ms. Diana Rohn, the coronavirus pandemic has contributed to more empty office buildings and storefronts, less tourism, fewer people visiting businesses with downtown Portland among areas heavily hit. It's going to take some time to get the city back to where it once was. How do you entice business owners and patrons back, particularly downtown? This is such a challenging question. And I've been spending time recently with the people who were the leaders there the first time we had to do our downtown revitalization. My job at Portland State University for the last decade was teaching other cities around the world our formula for downtown revitalization. So I know that we have everything we need to come back quickly there. We can activate our, our street level retail, making sure we're creating opportunities for BIPOC entrepreneurs. We can activate our streets and public spaces. We can make sure that we're welcoming uh, film and video industry and other uh, recession-proof industries that can put money back into travel and tourism here, which would be a fantastic um, alternative uh, since they spend wonderful dollars here at hotels and restaurants while they're on production. We can look at working with commercial real estate owners to transform uh, excess commercial office space that telecommuting is going to free up. There's so many opportunities for us to rethink our downtown in this moment. Thank you, Ms. Ayanna Mayor, 45 seconds. What's your response? 
I agree with Sarah on everything she just said. The first thing we need to do, obviously, is end the nightly violence because the perception a lot of people have who might travel here is that Portland isn't safe. I don't think that perception is accurate, but it's still out there. The second thing we need to do is clean it up. And so we have just launched an aggressive, proactive strategy to pick up litter and abate graffiti. We'll work with business owners and operators to help them do it on their private properties as well. And uh, obviously, we need compassionate responses to uh, help people get off of our, our sidewalks and out of our public right-of-ways into a compassionate place where they can get the help they need to stay off the streets. And then we need to work, as I'm already doing, with business owners and operators around the city to promote their businesses as they reopen and encourage people to come back to downtown Portland as well as our neighborhood business districts. There's a lot to see, and I hope people come back soon. Thank you, Mayor. Laurel? We're going to expand on that a little bit, Mayor Wheeler. I think we've all heard from friends and relatives from outside the area asking, what is going on in Portland? The image of Portland has been tarnished nationally in recent months. How do you repair the city's image on a national scale? I'm sorry, is that directed to me first? That's for Mayor Wheeler, yes. Yeah, well, uh, just as I just said, we we end the violence. That's the first thing we absolutely positively need to do. Clean it up and then work with our business owners and operators to take down the boards, abate any graffiti that's there and help them reopen safely under the restrictions that are still there with COVID and then publicize it. And I'm working with business leaders right now to talk about a strategy similar to what we did after the demonstrations a year ago, August, where we created incentives for people to come downtown. There were discounts that were offered. The city offered free parking. We publicized all the good things that were going on in downtown. And that certainly made an important and positive difference. The other thing that I'm doing is I'm working with business leaders who are very pro-business to help them get out the word to their networks and to uh, to the business press and to others around the country to let them know that Portland's thriving, that we still have a creative, innovative culture here, that people are still expanding their businesses here. They still want to be here. Uh, and we have a good workforce program here. So uh, I think Portland will recover from this and okay, we you. need to get at it right now. We're already doing it. Sarah Anarone, how do you repair the reputation of Portland nationally? And internationally, because we know how much our our city, what role we play in the international marketplace as well. When the mayor keeps saying he wants to end the nightly violence, I believe that's admirable. I do not believe that he has a plan to do it. And so if that's um, the what we have as a baseline, whatever he's proposing is not going to work from there. I do believe, however, that there is a pathway to healing on that front where we can make progress and start to work towards solutions and rethinking public safety. That said, I have a rich global network of urban leaders around the world who are watching us right now, waiting to see progressive leadership back in the Portland mayor's office. It's what they came from around the world to visit, and it's what they'll come back to visit when the city is back on track. Thank you for that. Now, each of the candidates gets the opportunity to ask the other a question of their choosing. We'll begin with Ms. Ayanna Roan. What's your question for Mayor Wheeler? I would ask the mayor why, if two-thirds of Portlanders disapprove of his job performance, he believes that he's doing a job worthy of re-election. Where is the disconnect for him in terms of what the people's perception of his job performance is and how he's perceiving himself? Mayor? 
Well, look, when, when March rolled around of this year, our city went into a state of pervasive crisis. We have the COVID pandemic. We have the resulting economic shutdown that's resulting from the pandemic. We have a national reckoning around racial justice and equity, people taking to the streets, some people engaging in acts of violence. Uh, and uh, of course, then we had the forest fires on top of that. And I don't mind telling you that that distracted me from my ability to campaign. I didn't campaign. Uh, there was a lot of real anger, a lot of real frustration, a lot of real anxiety. As the mayor, you know, the buck stops with me and I would expect to be the recipient of that frustration and anxiety. But on the other hand, I should have had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to campaign. But I chose instead to focus on the crises. And I don't mind lifting the tent a little bit and say I was dealing with some personal crises, too. My, my friend Nick Fish died. My mom died. I was going through a divorce. That Anybody who's gone through those also knows that can be taxing. That also took my eye off the ball a bit. But I haven't given up. I believe in myself in this administration. And we're going we're gonna to continue to do the good work, hopefully, for the next four years. Thank you, Mayor. What is your question for Ms. Iannarone? If you're elected mayor, uh, Sarah, you're going to be managing all of these crises that, that we've been discussing tonight that you've been largely criticizing me for in terms of my response. You're also going to be managing a very large and complex enterprise. The city of Portland has a $5.6 billion budget, over 6,000 employees, 28 departments. Uh, what relevant direct experience have you had that will help you manage through those crises and manage an enterprise this large and complex? That's such a valid concern, Mayor Wheeler, and I'm hearing it from other people too, and I can understand why they might be concerned. But I believe that I do bring some seriously relevant qualifications at this time. My lived experience, my professional background, but also the fact of who I listen to in the city and who I will bring together in the teams to lead us. It is not a single person who sets the city budget. It's a single person who sets the vision for what that budget should be. And what we need right now is a visionary leadership with courage, a commitment to things like a Green New Deal, housing for all, rethinking public safety, plans that are clear where we can actually work with the public to get things done. A lot of different skills than you brought to the table when you ran for office. It's a clear choice, I believe, for the public in operating styles, in experience, and how they will run the city based on our values and our vision. Boy, this has gone fast. We are out of time, but thank you, candidates, Sarah Iannarone and Mayor Ted Wheeler for joining us for this mayoral debate. And thank you to our partners at The Oregonian for sponsoring this debate with us. And my thanks to my co-moderator, City Hall reporter Everton Bailey Jr. We thank you for watching and remember to vote. The deadline to register is October 13th in Oregon and your ballots are due back by 8 p.m. on Tuesday, November 3rd. Be sure to join us on election night for results and analysis of this race and others, both locally and nationally. From all of us here at KGW and at The Oregonian, good night. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with The Oregonian. If you like the show, leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We'll be back Monday with a regular episode. Until next time.